0: We're on our third and final in the series of Life of Moses. This is the final 40-year period of Moses' life, living with faith in God. His first 40 years spent in self-faith or dependence on self. Second 40 years spent in despondency or lack of faith, no faith. And now we get to the final 40, living with faith in God. Take a minute, breathe out the distractions of the day, block out circumstances, let's just focus on what the Spirit has to say to us. Invite the Spirit to speak to us, to grow us closer to Christ, closer in our walk with God. So, there's so much... Uh, information and and exciting stories in this final period of Moses' life that there's no way uh, we could cover all of it unless we just took weeks to go through each and every point. So I'm going to focus, as I've done in the first and second series, on the pinnacle that described Moses' condition uh, in this overall 40-year period. So if you recall, in the first 40 years, uh, the pinnacle was when he went out to check on his brethren, the Hebrews, and he saw an Egyptian uh, beating a Hebrew, and he decides to uh, intervene. He kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand, and thinks no one knows about it. Uh, When that's found out, he has to run and escape uh, being killed by Pharaoh. So he's a man that that wants to do the right thing. He wants to do um, the emancipation of his people, but he tries to do it through his own strength and he comes up against something bigger than himself. The second four years is defined uh, in, in a couple of things. One, he's he's keeping sheep on the backside of the desert. He's, he's really overqualified for the job that he's doing. He doesn't seem to be challenged in his life. There's not a lot of information about this period. Um, but at the end of it, he meets with God at the burning bush, and he gives five excuses why he can't do it. He basically says to God, send somebody else. So his focus is still on his self. But now, instead of his focus being, I can do it, his focus is, I can't do it. I can't do anything. Lord, please send somebody else. So after the burning uh, bush episode, Moses does go back to Egypt. He gathers the elders. Uh, He goes to Pharaoh And he asks that the people be let go uh, to go out and worship God. And Pharaoh denies. Uh, Miracles ensue. Go through the ten plagues. And at the end of the ten plagues, um, Pharaoh decides or relinquishes and allows the people to go. So along this process, nobody seems to be very happy with Moses. So what he feared about them not believing him and not wanting to follow him is coming true. Uh, first off, his his wife, Zipporah, is upset with him when they decide to go back to Egypt. And he says that he's got to circumcise his sons. Uh, she calls him a bloody husband. Uh, the people complain because things get harder before they're released. And uh, they're blaming Moses for it. And now they've been released. They gather up and they're they're heading out of Egypt. And Pharaoh changes his mind. Uh, and he sends the armies of Egypt out to get him. And they're stuck in this pinnacle between two mountain cliffs, the Egyptian army bearing hard on them from the backside. And in front of them is the Red Sea. Now, in each episode leading up to this, uh, Moses prays to God, he goes to God, he's seeking direction from God. This is the first point where we see him stand on his own in a moment of faith and and he says to the people, "Stand still and see the salvation of God uh, and and if you know the story, the Red Sea parts, they cross through on dry ground, the Egyptian army following hard behind them when they fill this this gulf left by these walls of water, uh, the Bible says, God causes." confusion to come upon them. Some of them are turning back. Some of them are going forward. There's just chaos. And then the waters are let go. They go back and drown the Egyptians. Some great pictures here we, we don't want to overlook. Uh, the Egyptians represent the world system. They represent bondage. Uh, many of us today, we see ourselves as free people, but in truth, we're in bondage to a world system. Uh, We're caught up in a system that we really don't know how to get out of. And rather than than follow Christ and put him first, uh, we tend to give our allegiance to the culture and world system that we're in. Uh, What's interesting is the Bible says that the next day, after they'd crossed through the Red Sea and the waters had come in on the Egyptian army, the Bible says they saw the Egyptians washed up on the shore, dead. So the thing that held them in slavery, the thing that held them in bondage, not only have they escaped it, it's been killed. A very important lesson for us to get, that the thing that holds us in bondage is not only released, but it's killed. Now, these miracles, they don't stop the people from complaining. As soon as there's a lack of water, as soon as there's a lack of food, they begin to complain to Moses. Uh, at, they're at the Red Sea. They said, would you bring us out here? Cause there weren't enough graves in Egypt. They're in constant mode of grumbling and complaining, but Moses leads on. So after the plagues and after leading the people through, and then they're, they're sort of stuck in this system of, of circling the mountain, uh, for 40 years, but prior to this, um, Moses goes up to the mountaintop to talk with God and he's given the commandments. And while he's up there receiving the commandments, uh, the people grow impatient. They find Aaron and they said, uh, make for us a God because we don't know what's happened to this Moses. Aaron obliges. And remember Aaron wasn't part of God's original plan. That was, uh, something that God allowed for Moses's sake of lack of faith. And, um, Moses makes this golden calf. God tells Moses, hey, those people, your people, they're down there, you know, doing something they shouldn't be doing. And by the time Moses gets down with the Ten Commandments, they've already broken all ten of them. Uh, Moses, uh, we see a pattern now. He gets angry. He reacts. He throws the tablets down, breaks them in pieces. He, uh, He melts the golden calf, grinds it into dust, mixes it with the water, and makes the people drink it. Now, God says uh, to Moses that he's going to take them on to the promised land, but he's not going to go with them because the people are stiff-necked, they're hard-headed, and he's afraid if he goes with them, he'll he'll end up killing the people out of a lack of patience. What's interesting now is that Moses begins to intercede for the people. In fact, he, he tells the people, you know, when he comes down, you've done a great sin, let me see if I can atone. We see this picture of Christ come out as as Moses begins to um, to to try to bargain with God, and he says, "Take me, don't take the people, don't kill the people. you can kill me. You can blot me out of the out of the book of life uh but God says no, and um he won't he won't do that. He wants to wipe out the people and just leave Moses. Moses refuses that uh Moses stands in for the people, and he starts to say things like, "Well, you know uh what will what will the people say if you abandon us now god you, you know in other words, God, you have to be with us for your own reputation because you made a vow with with Abraham and the people of of uh, children of Israel uh after this back and forth for a bit, uh, Moses makes a couple interesting statements, and here's where we see the maturity, uh, the change from the guy we've known the past 80 years. He says to God, if you don't go, don't send us. If you're not going to go before us, if you're not going to go with us, then we're not going. You see how Moses' focus has shifted from his self, from his circumstances, simply to God. What's changed? people talk about what well, Moses learned all these lessons in the in, in the backside of the desert for those forty years. I don't think so i I think the time he spent with God changed his view of himself and his circumstances to see that all that matters is God, not Egypt, not Pharaoh, not his. Ability or even his inability. All that matters is God. Think back to his conversation with God at the burning bush. Nowhere in there does, does Moses mention God except to say, Well, what if they ask who sent me? Moses' sole uh focus is still on himself. Sometimes we think uh When someone's proud, their focus is on themselves, but sometimes when people are depressed and despondent, their focus, too, is too much on themselves, especially when we're to be people of faith. To me, the most interesting statement, the defining moment of Moses' last third of his life is when he begs God to show him his glory. He asked God to reveal, for God to reveal God's glory to Moses. And God obliges, he has him in a mountain, he hides him in a cleft, he hides him with his hand. I don't know if this is poetic language, I don't know if this is literal, I don't know how this worked or how it happened. I just know that he was given a glimpse of God that no one else has been allowed to see. And when he came down from the mountain, he had a literal glow about his face. The Bible says his face shone or shined so much so that it scared the people. Think for a minute. What are you reflecting? If we are a reflection of what we're around There's a New Testament passage we'll read in a minute that talks about like looking into a mirror when it refers to the story. Instead of seeing your own image, you see the image of God. What are you reflecting? If we're spending time with God versus spending time in pornography or, or even at work or worldly things, we are going to reflect light in a different manner. What are you spending time with? In Second Corinthians chapter three, starting in verse seven, uh, we we see the writer here, Paul, who talks about these episodes with uh, Moses. And and here's what he says. Uh, but if the ministry of death, in letters engraved on stones, now he's talking about the Ten Commandments, came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently on the face of Moses, because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. So he's saying, you know, from the minute that Moses came down from that mountain, he shone; he had uh, a glory on his face, but it started to diminish right away. The second he he left the presence of God, it begins to diminish. But he says, even at that, it still glowed, even though it was diminishing, it still was bright enough to frighten the people. And, and by the way, when Moses went up there the second time, it was to get the second copy of the commandments, which he had broken in anger after the, the first time coming down to the people in the golden calf. In verse 8 in Second Corinthians 3, so shall the ministry of the spirit fail to be even more with glory. So, how shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? In other words, now that the Spirit has come upon us after the time of Pentecost, we're going to shine with a brighter glory than Moses did. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory, in this case, has no glory on account of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. What he's saying is, if in this Old Testament, uh, where where the law is given, just a set of rules and regulations, if that and that relationship with God brought about glory... How much more are we now in this New Testament period where where the veil has been broken and we have full access to Christ? How much more are we going to show with glory through the spirit that God has put within us? Let me ask you. Do you shine? Or do you darken? The spaces that you go into, the places that we go, do we give off light Or do we just blend in with the darkness around us? Let's read on. 13. And are not as Moses, who used to put a veil over his face, that the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away. So he's saying, uh, and here's what happens in the story. Moses puts a veil over his face because it so disturbed the people that he's shining. And what that was, again, I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us enough detail for, for me to articulate. I just know the Bible says his face shone with the glory of God. And, and and Paul here, he says, even though it was fading away, he still had to put a veil over it. It wasn't like it's getting brighter as we should as we are transformed and our minds are renewed and we're discipled into the walk of Christianity. We should be growing bright, bright, brighter and brighter With Moses, it's getting dimmer and dimmer because the time with God is over. He's come down from the mountain with the people. But he still has to put a veil over it. Verse 14, But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. So he's saying when they do read those commandments and and even the, the first five books of the Bible, which are called the Torah or the books of Moses sometimes, it says they have a veil. They don't see that Christ is being revealed in those writings, in those teachings. Remember, Moses is given as a type of Christ. And when people don't see it, it's like they have a veil. Sometimes we don't see it because we don't want to see it because we don't know what to do with it. When, when Moses first went up on the mountain, all of the people had the invitation to go with him. They chose not to. And in fact, when God spoke to them directly, the earth moved in such a way and, and, and it shook like thunder that it scared the people and they said, ask him not to do that anymore. <laughs> they were perfectly content to have Moses be an intermediary between them and God. Because the holiness of God scared them, as it should. It frightened Moses, as it should scare us. But we should enter in with faith, knowing that we're able to go into that glory, into that personal, daily relationship with God because of Christ and our relationship with Christ and because of the Spirit that's been put within us. Finishing up these passages in Corinthians uh, Verse 15 again, But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and being transformed into the same image with glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So the 17, it says, where the Lord is the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. What was Moses about? He was a liberator. He was emancipator. He brought them out of their bondage, being used by God. And then verse 18, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. If we're not being made brighter daily, weekly, yearly, as we grow in the Lord, if we're not being made brighter, if we're not becoming lights in our environment, in our families, in our workplace, and wherever we happen to be, There's a disconnect. We're not going up to the mountaintop. We're not living by faith. Something is not connected. There's a short in the system. Let me ask you to just reflect, just pause. Just ask God to reveal to you. What stage are you in? Perhaps you're still living in self-confidence, thinking you can do it. Perhaps you're living with no faith, no confidence, or very little. Perhaps you're moving into that phase of living by faith. But if your focus is circumstances and not God, you're not living as Moses in his final period. No longer is he worried about the promised land or the complaints of the people or the relationship with his wife, he's only concerned with getting closer to this God. He's only concerned with this God revealing more of himself to him. We live in a period where the veil in the temple has been ripped in two literally and figuratively, and we have access 24 hours a day to commune with God. The only obstacle between us and a deeper relationship with God is ourselves. Which will we choose? Self-faith, no faith, or faith in the one and true God?